All right, open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9 is where we are going. The series is called Let's Go Change the World, and our three-year vision is growing right out of that. We want to reach half a million people with the gospel over the next thousand days in 40 cities for the glory of Christ. That's our mission and our vision out there. In here, what we're seeing in the book of Acts is we want to become a holy, healthy, and humble spiritual congregation. We want you to find your place in building that kind of church. And so in the book of Acts today, we are seeing wonderful, miraculous conversions. The Apostle Paul got saved last week. So like in our reckoning, he's one week old in the gospel. Um, And today is an awesome, awesome story in the Bible. It's when Peter and Paul meet. So uh, Bert and Ernie, you remember them? Tom and Jerry, SpongeBob and Patrick, who knows them? Laurel and Hardy, if you're an old-timer, Cramden and Norton, Lennon and McCartney, Simon and Garfunkel, Penn and Teller, have you seen Penn and Teller? Brooks and Dunn, if you're a country fan, Han and Chewie, if you like sci-fi, or Frodo and Sam, maybe, Kirk and Spock, Wayne and Garth, do you remember Wayne and Garth? I remember Wayne and Garth. What about Montana and Rice, Shaq and Kobe, Kane and Taze, Jordan and Pippin? The world loves a great duo, am I right? When you put Paul and Peter together, the impact that they have made on this world is immeasurable. If you took away what they contributed to humanity, you wouldn't recognize the world. They carved out a brand new river of time that the world now flows according to. Peter primarily reached the Jews, and Paul went out to reach the Gentiles. They changed the world by the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So it's awesome to think of these two meeting for the first time. Wow, what a moment we are going to witness. Let's pray, and then we'll get into the Word together. Thank you, Jesus, for your grace that you poured out on Paul last week that the Chief of all sinners, he called himself, was shown grace that we might know that any one of us can be saved no matter what we've done, no matter where we've been, no matter what we have left undone. And I know there are perhaps some people here right now who feel too sinful, too guilty, too ashamed to think you would accept them. But you accepted the man who killed Christians and you turned him into an apostle. Oh, Lord, show us that if your grace can be given to him, it can be given to anybody in this room. And Peter, what a character he is. Jesus, you transformed him from a cowardly, impulsive, proud, self-seeking man into a rock of the early church. If you can transform him, you can transform anybody. So give us that hope, Jesus, that you're alive, that you are at work today, You can save us, and you can transform us, and you can grow your church no matter what empire we are living under. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, Acts 9, verse 20. Here we are. And immediately Paul proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed. Make your amazed noise. Go. (laughs) That's so cool. And said, is it not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who call upon his name? 
Has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Paul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. So write this down. There's only one point to the message today. Write this down. Number one, do you believe Jesus is alive and the gospel is true? Do you believe Jesus is alive and the gospel is true? There's one point. Now, don't get excited. It's going to be a feature-length presentation, all right? You're not getting out of here early. One point, several sub-points, so buckle up. This one point is the reason why Luke wrote the whole book. So you always have to know the author's intent if you want to know your Bible. You don't just rip open the Bible and, and just say, oh, I know what that means to me. You've got to find out what the author originally meant. Luke wants you to believe Jesus is alive and the gospel is true. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Luke wants you to believe that. And then there are one, two, three, four reasons why you should believe that Jesus is alive and the gospel is true. Paul was saved perhaps AD 33. He's preaching here in Damascus. Here's a picture of the city of Damascus. You can put that picture up there. Pretty impressive city. And there's a mile-long street right down the middle. This is a city that's as old, if not older, than recorded history. So, so Abraham was around here in Genesis, all right? So we're going all the way back to the headwaters of humanity. Obviously, this city has been built up over time for thousands of years. Uh, and so, you know, if Abraham is a couple thousand years before Christ, and this was around even before him, Paul is in one of the most... Uh, ancient cities of all time. You see that wall that goes all around the city? It was a fortified, uh, great city, and Paul was staying with people in that city. Here's where he was supposed to go and find all the Christians and arrest them. Instead, he goes into the Jewish synagogues and he starts preaching Christ. What an amazing place, and they had a temple to Jupiter, the god, and uh, big tons of business and trade. Sometimes when we hear these stories, people have this very primitive understanding of what the ancient world was like. They picture a bunch of mud huts and people with sticks, you know, farming animals, and they don't, they don't imagine a huge city, right? Here's a, a map of where Paul went on his travels. So he started out down in Jerusalem and then he went up to Damascus, which is just up to the right, about 150 miles up to the right. And there's where he got saved. And then as we read on in his story, in his early travels, he's going to go back to Jerusalem. Well, he's going to go into the Arabian Desert for like three years, and he's going to go back. Then he'll go down to Jerusalem, and then he'll shoot all the way up to Cilicia and to Syria. So that's, these are the years before his first missionary journey ever happened. Okay. So, tons of business and trade happening. Three years of ministry and preparation is happening in Damascus and Arabia. Where do we find out about this? Well, Paul tells his own story in Galatians 1, 2 Corinthians 11, if you want to double-check that, uh, if you want to read up on his early travels. So what happened was, he starts preaching, and he starts proving that Jesus is the Christ. He goes out into the desert. He starts doing some preliminary regional ministry, and then in verse 23... It says, when many days had passed, so three years, when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. All right. 
So do you believe Jesus is alive and the gospel is true? Jot this down. Believe because of Paul's preaching and persecution. Believe because of Paul's preaching and persecution. Uh, His conversion was legit. And if he got saved, that should persuade you that the gospel is true. Because he was preaching that Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. After he tried to kill Christians for believing that very thing, And in addition, he was persecuted for his faith. He was persecuted. He didn't just say it. He laid down his life for it after he tried to destroy the church. Okay, so I have a little object lesson here. Um, I need a a volunteer. I'm going to go to my small group bench here and invite Aaron Almanza to come on up here. Give Aaron a big round of applause. Aaron, I love you, brother. Aaron, we've been in a small group together, so I feel like I can embarrass you publicly, but this is a godly guy. He loves his family. He loves his wife. He's growing in the Lord, Um, and I want you to know what spiritual maturity looks like in the Bible, okay? So uh, get in the basket. (laughs) I'll give you a hand. All right, go ahead. Get in. Get all the way in, and uh, yeah, don't trip. You got to do it quick because they're coming to kill you. All right, lower on down, all the way down. Okay, this is good. Um, this is a wonderful portrait of so many spiritual things. Uh, Paul, you're going to be one of the greatest men in all of history. You're going to write Bible books. You're going to have power to raise the dead, heal the sick. Like The world is not going to be the same, but your name is going to be written on the foundations of heaven. Get in the basket. Go ahead and peek up. This right here, all right, this right here, is where Christ is going to lead you. I don't want you to have any expectation in this life of the whole name it, claim it, where's my free car for becoming a Christian, get in the basket, all right? Get ready to go where Christ leads you, to to suffer what he commands you to suffer, to lay your life down, get in the basket, and hold on, all right? This is what the spiritual life is all about. Now go ahead, all the way down. Four guys are going to now lift you up, take you to the roof, and find a way to lower you down safely, okay? I'm just kidding. No, give Aaron a big round of applause. You did a great job. Thank you, my friend. All right, great. (laughs) Why should you believe the gospel? Uh, Because Paul, because Paul got in the hamper. All right, he was a rising star. Could have had the fame, fortune, and glory. Walked away from it. You have no reason to explain his transformation. How he ended up in that hamper? It's only Jesus. It's the only explanation. He saw the risen Lord. So you should believe because of Paul's preaching and his persecution. Paul's transformation is legit, and that gives us great assurance that the gospel is true. We should believe in Jesus too, and we should get in the hamper. And we shouldn't have any expectations on the Lord of making this world our kingdom, our paradise, our Eden. Where's where's my mansion? Uh, This world is called a tent, a breath, a a blade of grass. This world, we're just passing through and our citizenship is in heaven. Paul acted that out. He was trying to kill Christians. I had this thought this week. Paul was trying to kill Christians. Do you know how he was trying to kill them? Forcing them to blaspheme. So he was trying to get them to say Jesus is Lord so he can kill them. Here's what's so cool. Now he's trying to get them to say Jesus is Lord so he can save them. Isn't that awesome? What changed this man's heart? This wicked, violent, proud animal. Jesus is alive. 
Hey, have you confessed publicly that Jesus is the Son of God? This is our faith, so what, what does he say? Well, he says here, verse 20, he is the Son of God. Is that what you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Well, we're all God's children. No, he's one of a kind. What makes Jesus one of a kind? He's had an eternally unobstructed view of the Father. Nothing has ever blinded him to the eternal light. He's had an unmediated relationship, a oneness with the Father. You can't have that. He bears the divine image without needing to be transformed into that. He is the image of the invisible God. It's not true of you or me. And he's been a son of the Father forever. You and I, we have to be brought into the divine family by adoption. We are adopted, not him. Do you believe Jesus is the one-of-a-kind, sinless Son of God who's perfect in glory, a, a person of the Trinity, right? The divine Son. That's what Paul's preaching. He is the Son of God. In order to believe that, you have to believe God is the Father and that He has a Son and that He sent His Son into the world to save us. Christianity believes that uniquely. Other faiths do not. He was also perfectly obedient to the Father, and he revealed the Father's will. He always lives to do the Father's will. We had a men's conference a couple weekends ago, and one of the things Pastor Stephen said that really stuck with me was, he said, I'm glad Jesus doesn't just only sometimes do the Father's will. The world would be ruined if he did. And I was like, ooh, that hurts, because I don't always do the Father's will, right? Even if I'm getting a good batting average in the week, there's times I don't. But what if Jesus was just 50-50 or 70-30 even? We'd have big problems on the universal scale, right? He alone perfectly does the will of the Father. What a powerful thought. Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? Have you publicly proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God? Paul's doing it. Wow! He also proclaimed that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ, right? So he is the Christ, it says in verse 22. The, the, the idea of Jesus being the Christ means he's the promised Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament, the anointed one, that gives him the right to rule as king. Priests were also anointed. The Messiah would be this very intriguing prophet, priest, king in one character, which was not allowed in the Old Testament. If the king started to do priest work, he could get killed. Because he had a boundary. You can't, you can't do that, right? So Jesus would take on the, the prophet that Moses spoke of. He would speak, right, God's will. He would be the priest, the high priest, the mediator, but he would also be the king. The only character in the Old Testament who comes close to that was uh, Melchizedek. So Jesus fulfilled all of that, which made him the anointed, rightful ruler, the Messiah, and his kingdom will have no end. How can David say of his descendant, the Lord said to my Lord? How could David call him Lord? Jesus would stump the religious teachers with that one. How, how could David call his descendant his Lord? It's because the nature of the Messiah would be divine. Hey, is this what you believe? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God, the promised Messiah? That's our faith. That's what Paul's proclaiming. That's why he's in the hamper, being lowered down, in a basket. Verse 25. And that should give you reassurance that you should believe it. Believe because of Paul's preaching and persecution. All right, 
It says in verse 26, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples and they were all afraid of him. This is really awesome. I'll be Paul. You be the disciples. First time you've seen me in three years and last time you saw me, I killed Christians. Ready? I'm coming to church. Come on, you got to do better than that. You got to do a little better than that. Oh, you ain't ready for me yet, huh? Terror. Hide the kids. He's going to kill us. All right, now that's kind of the funny side of it. The serious side of it is, like, like he really did kill Christians. There were, there were loved ones who were gone, parents without children, churches without pastors, because of this guy. And he shows up, and they don't know what to do. They don't know what to think. Now, they had every reason to reject him if he was not the real deal, right? They had every reason to suspect his conversion was illegitimate. It's just one more thing he's doing to try and ruin us. There's no reason why they would accept him unless he genuinely was converted. When he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. and They were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. This is really cool. So when you imagine Jerusalem, we're now, he got saved about AD 33. Three years have passed. He comes to Jerusalem. He shares elsewhere that he met Peter and he met James. And he didn't really hang out with a lot of others. He tried to keep it, you know, down low. He's only there for a short period of time, you know, and, and so then, here's a picture of Jerusalem at the time. Again, I want to make sure you, you catch the glory of what's going on here. You know, this is a wonderful city um, in the Roman Empire. This is the Temple Mount, and then the temple is there in the center. So Paul comes to town. The early church would meet up there in Solomon's Portico, which are the colonnades all around. You know, there's two levels. Just pick your place. And they would have their large group meetings there. Then they would go down in houses and they would have their small group meetings there. And Paul would go up into the temple and, and there in the temple part is where the Sanhedrin would have met. He would have known everybody in there. He would have been a part of the council when Stephen was dead. So he's back three years later. Imagine that. <laughs> like He's back. He's a Christian. He lost all of his connections to power and prominence. And he's just now going to go up to the temple and pray. And he shares elsewhere he has a vision and in this vision, God says, you need to get out of here fast. They're not going to accept you. And he kind of talks back, and he's like, Lord, they all know me. They all know what I did. They, I'm the one who's going to convince them. And he's like, get out now. I will send you far away to the Gentiles. So uh, they were not ready for what pa Paul was the ultimate disruptor. He was, he was going to take the wheels off the whole enterprise. And it was going to happen eventually, but not yet. So he comes into Jerusalem. Barnabas is the one who brings him in. And behold the beauty of Christian community. What love and acceptance and forgiveness the church offered this murderer. The blood of the saints was on his hands. How, how could they welcome him? How could they accept him? How could they call him brother after, after all he had done? The only answer is Jesus is risen. He's transforming their hearts and their greatest joy came true. No matter what he had done, their greatest joy came true, that he would become a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. Is that your heart to the most wicked people in this world? 
Is that your heart? Is that your heart for the people, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment they're transported and Jesus receives? Is that your heart? We should believe because of Paul's preaching and persecution. We should accept those with a terrible past who truly believe. And you, if you have a terrible past, should understand you can become a full-fledged, born-again believer in the Lord Jesus Christ through his grace. Barnabas, of course, was called son of encouragement, peacemaker, unifier, I'll help you connect. They became buddies, would eventually do missionary work together. He models for us the welcoming spirit of the gospel. He models for us the, I'm going to help you to get connected into this community. What a beautiful picture of Christian community and how sad it is when that's not what the church becomes. When there's who can be in here and who can't and, you know, watch out for that person. And we've got to have a bigger heart than that. We've got to have a bigger heart than that. Wow. They didn't just accept Paul. They accepted him as one having the authority of the apostle. This is big. He didn't just show up and say, I'm a Christian. And they're like, fine, go sit in the corner because there's a lot of people who have some beef with you, okay? He said, I'm called to be an apostle. The Lord appeared to me, gave me a commission. He claimed to have equal authority with Peter. That's what they accepted. It's, it's unbelievable. So we got to deal with that next. Jot this down. Believe because Paul writes as an apostle of Jesus. He, his, his preaching and his persecution should persuade you but he writes as an apostle of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Okay, so let's just pause there. So he shows up. He goes and meets with Peter, James. They give him the right hand of fellowship. He, he tells him he's been called to be an apostle. Fine, they accept that. We should accept that too. So we're, what we're doing here is we should believe because Paul is writing to us in some of your most beloved, you know, have you ever studied the book of Romans, right? The epistles. He writes most of the New Testament. So we can't just be like, oh, how good it is that God saved a wicked guy like him. No, he's given him the authoritative voice to teach us about the faith. We have to believe him as if we would believe God himself. Wow. So we believe because Paul writes as an apostle of Jesus. This ties into our theology of the Bible. I was meeting with a Muslim imam in a mosque once, and they have a different view of where the Bible comes from. So he said to me, well, Paul writes somebody a letter, and you call it the Bible. You know, he's like, we don't believe that. It's a higher standard to figure out if something is actually biblical text. We have to be able to defend that view. Could you defend that view? Paul's murdering one day and he's writing Bible the next day. Why would you listen to a guy like that? Why would you listen to a guy like that? How could we defend the view that Paul was an apostle and that his writings are on par with the authority of God himself? Well, 1 Corinthians 15, 8-9, Paul says this of himself. Last of all, as to one untimely born, Jesus appeared also to me. I think we're going to put that verse up on the screen. 1 Corinthians 15, 8 to 9. There we go. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. What is an apostle? Well, saw the risen Lord, personally commissioned and installed by him to be an apostle, can perform signs and wonders. Paul did this. He would go on to heal drive out demons. He struck a man blind. He raised the dead. He survived a fatal snake bite, saw visions of heaven, 
And Peter affirmed that Paul had the authority of an apostle. In 1 Peter 1, 20-21, Peter affirms the nature of divine authority in the writings. We'll go to 1 Peter, or 2 Peter yeah, 1, 20-21. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the Bible comes from God, and it's the Holy Spirit that is inspiring the text. They understood that. Second uh, Peter 3, 15 to 16, we'll put that one up there. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them which are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist, get this, to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. What happens if you distort Paul's teaching, you'll be destroyed by God, just as if you do it to any other scripture. That word is super important because in the Greek it's used 51 times in the New Testament, always refers to Old Testament canon books. In other words, the Bible. In two places, here in 2 Peter and then in 1 Timothy 5.18, it includes New Testament writings. So they knew they were writing on par with Old Testament scripture. And if you refused to hear what they were saying, you would be eternally condemned because they spoke the words of God. This is super important. Do you believe that the Bible is God's word and is therefore authoritatively binding on your soul and your eternity will depend on how you respond to this, to this that you're hearing? Do you believe the Bible is God's word, that Paul, as an apostle, had the authority to tell you the truth from Jesus? Is that what you believe? Because that's what he's preaching. And do you see how that's a bit of a crisis here? This guy, this guy, this guy is writing for God? A lot of people today want to have a, only a one-on-one -on -one with God. Well, God told me this, and God told me that, and I feel this, and I feel that. They don't understand that their relationship is mediated, first of all, by Jesus, and second, by the authoritative word of God handed down by the apostles. They think they just get the walkie-talkie and they can say any sort of nonsense in God's name. They don't understand how truth works. Do you believe? Believe because Paul writes as an apostle of Jesus. Is that what you believe? Is that what you believe? And have you placed yourself squarely under the authority of the apostles, which is the authority of Christ? So do you believe Jesus is alive and the gospel is true? Well, you believe because Paul's preaching a persecution. Believe because Paul writes as an apostle of Jesus. Jot this down. Believe because the church manifests the presence and power of God. The church manifests the presence and power of God. So here this group, the church, is showing you the presence and the power of God. Who are the people that God accepts? It's the church. This community reveals that God is real, he's alive, and that Jesus is on the throne. They accepted Paul with a radical love, and then Paul went out and started to tell the people out there how to get saved. This is a great part of the text, too. It says in verse 29, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. Now, the Hellenists, if you remember, these were the Jews from outside of Jerusalem. Uh, and in this context, these aren't the Christian Jews. These are the Hellenists who were, from, who were in Israel. They were from out there. 
And uh, often, you know, if they live out there, they made a lot of money and they've got connections, they're powerful. Now they're here in Jerusalem. The Hellenists, they're the Greek-speaking Jews. They are the ones who started this persecution in the first place. Stephen was fighting with them. They said, kill him. The rulers got all corrupt and killed Stephen. Then they put Paul in charge. You're going to go get them all. You're going to go to all the cities, and you're going to put this whole fire out. He vanishes for three years. Now he comes back to town, and their great prosecutor is now fighting them. Boy, did this backfire. I would love to see the looks on their faces when they're like, what? You were, you, you, huh? We sent you out to take care of this problem. Now you're our chief opponent. Boy, did this backfire on the Hellenists. What are they going to do? What they should do is say, oh my goodness, we were wrong. We shouldn't have been persecuting this movement because the one person who's qualified knows the Old Testament, go out and stop it. He now believes and he's telling us it's true. They should be like, we're sorry, we're going to become Christians too. And instead they're like, well, I guess he's got to die too. How many more have to die? Do you see the hardness of the heart? And here's the question I have for you. There's only two lines leading into the next life. The one line is the narrow road. Those who believe Jesus is the Lord, who've ex- accepted the testimony as handed down by the apostles, they believe he is the Son of God and he is Christ the Messiah, they are willing to publicly share that faith. The other line is people who reject that. Sometimes they reject it actively, and they mock it, or they reject it passively, and they're like, Ooh. either way, it's a rejection. It's the broad road that leads to destruction. You're in one of those lines right now. Which line is it? The church is where the glory of Christ is. And if you're a member of the unified group that would proclaim Jesus as the Messiah, then you're God's people and you're going to heaven. If you're outside of that, it doesn't matter whatever else you're a part of. You are missing it. You're missing it all. You're missing out on everything heaven has planned. And they were missing it. They start fighting with him. He spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. God warned him in a vision, get out of here, they're going to kill you. Verse 30, when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Here's a map again of where Paul ended up. We could put that up there. So he ends up all the way up there, Tarsus. Uh, He ends up going to Cilicia, Syria. He disappears for 10 years. All right, let's get back to Peter now. So it says in verse 32, Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he arose. All the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Jot this down. Believe because Peter writes as an apostle of Jesus. That's our last point here. Believe because Peter writes as an apostle of Jesus. Peter's about to fade. Paul's about to take over. But there are some parting remarks about Peter's leadership. The gospel continues to spread. Peter is the rock that Jesus made him. He's now 30 miles northwest. And then he'll end up 10 more miles in that direction soon. But I love how it says here in verse 32, Peter 
he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, I like the sound of that. He came down to the saints. Do you know that that's what you are? In Christ? It's used over 45 times, and it means holy. We're called saints. It means holy. It means we're saved. Christ washes away all of our sins and makes us holy, sacred to God instantly. And then, over time, he transforms us in our performance and how we live. Our position is one of holiness from the start. Then we learn to live that out. Do you see how if you've been told you've got to work really hard and do tons of good stuff, and then maybe you get good enough to go to heaven, do you see how wrong that is? Actually, you need to become a saint, perfectly accepted in the holy presence of God. Well, how do I do that? Lest your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, you ain't getting in. <sighs> it's by grace that you've been saved, through faith. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's how Peter can call these people saints. Now there's Aeneas, eight years in bed. Maybe you're struggling with physical problems for years and years and years, and you can empathize with this guy. Eight years, eight years, eight years. Bedridden for eight years, he was paralyzed. What a sad story. God allowed that in the life of a saint. He'll allow suffering into our lives as well. Here, the happy ending comes before the next life. Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. All the residents saw him turn to the Lord. So this gives proof that Jesus is alive. Jesus Christ heals you. It's not super Peter. It's Jesus is alive. So let's get our theology straight here. Why is this in the book of Acts? So that we should go find a faith healer when we're sick or paralyzed? No. The point of healing is it doesn't happen today like it did back then. It happened back then because the apostles were being authenticated as messengers of the risen Lord. You've never seen anything in this world. No one since the days of the apostles has seen anything like the healings that happen in the Bible. Anyone, anything, entire town healed of everything, whole hospital emptied out. It has never, ever happened. Don't be deceived, friends. Now, do healings happen? God still heals. There are people who have miraculous stories of healings. There are people who have the cancer went away and the, not like it happened in the Bible. So it is the exception, it's greatly miraculous, and it's not to be expected by Christians in the way that it was happening back then. It's meant to drive us to the conclusion that Jesus is alive. Whatever bodily problems you are dealing with, pray boldly. Ask God to heal you and to help you. James, though, says, go to your elders and ask them to anoint you with oil. Confess your sins. That's how you ask for God to work in your illness today. That's how you're supposed to do it. You maintain a posture of patience and surrender and realize even in the apostolic era, there were things that were not healed. So if anyone's promising you a blank check, as long as your faith is strong enough, all of your health issues will go away, you'll be, you're being lied to. The real conclusion here is Jesus is alive. The great news is he does promise that in the end, all sickness and disease will be healed in the next life. He's saying, yes. He's also saying, wait. That's good news. So, wow, Jesus is alive. Wow, the gospel is true. That's what's supposed to be going through our heads here. 
And then there's one more story in verse 36. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. When he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. Good, good person. Great person. Did awesome stuff for people. Full of compassion. Christian woman died. We all have to get ready for that. We have to finish well. God will allow that. Because there was an apostle around, he had the power and the authority to overrule her death. So it says here, in verse 40, Peter put all them outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise! And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Oh my goodness! Peter just raised the dead! Holy cow! That's incredible! And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa that many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. What are we to conclude? Peter writes as an apostle of Jesus. You can know the gospel is true. You can know Jesus is alive because he acted through Peter and did the impossible, the incredible, the unbelievable. What Peter said was just like a tiny bit off from when, when Jesus was alive and he said, little girl, arise. Peter virtually said the exact same thing Jesus said to show it's Jesus doing it. That's the thing. We're supposed to see this as proof that Jesus is alive. And therefore, Peter is an authorized messenger of the risen king who has the power to do anything he wants right now. Whenever the dead are raised in the New Testament, awesome, guess what? They had to die again. Bummer. Lazarus came back for an encore. Had to die again. Little awkward coming back after you're dead. Wonder what everybody said about you at the funeral. Am I right? All right, who spoke? What'd Jim say about me, huh? Well, you know, a little awkward. Even more awkward that you got to go again eventually. So this is temporary. Jesus is showing his power to raise the dead because do you know what it says in the Bible? One day those who are lying in the ground will hear the voice of the Son of Man and rise. You are going to hear his voice when you are in your grave and you are going to rise back up again. Amen. It's Amen. unbelievable. It's unbelievable. Is that your faith? Peter the Apostle has authority to tell us what the king is saying and doing. So wow, Jesus is alive. Wow, the gospel is true. That's the entire book of Acts. So Peter's ministry is going to wind down soon, and the gospel is going to spread to the ends of the earth through Paul. Paul's got 10 years before his first missionary journey. So let me ask you this. In light of what you've heard today, is your faith growing stronger in the Lord Jesus Christ? That he's alive, the gospel is true, and everything he's promised is going to happen. Is your faith growing stronger? And do you believe? Listen, do you believe? 
100%. You have heard incredible things today. There should be nothing standing in the way of you saying, Jesus, you are my Lord right now. I confess my sins. I ask you to save me. My life is yours. You have heard incredible things. If you harden your heart today, you're going to be judged. Today, if you hear his voice, the Bible says, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion. Don't hit that snooze button again and again and again. The day will come when you get the last chance to choose Jesus as your Savior and Lord. It might be right now. Your last breath will be given to you as a gift from on high. But this is why you're here right now, to nail it down. No more games, no more excuses. Jesus is my Messiah. Jesus is the Son of God. I'm getting in the hamper, and I'm going to serve him no matter where he leads me. Are you there? Well, last week we did something really powerful. If you look in your bulletin, there is a card where you can share your story. And if you filled one out last week, then you don't need to do it again. But we want to know your story. We want to hear how you became a Christian. And that includes three parts. It includes uh, early on, how did you get to know Jesus? And then when did you meet him as Savior and Lord? And then, um, and then what's been transformed in your life since then? If you're online, you can fill out a God at Work story on our website. But we want to hear your testimony and we want you to fill that out before you leave today. And we want you to hand it in at the back before you go. Father in heaven, we give you all the glory. And Jesus, maybe there are some here today. Today is the day. Six people last week said today's the day and got saved right here in this room. Maybe today's the day. Some people stop the game, stop the excuses, and they lay down their life. Maybe right now is the moment where they can, you can say this in your own heart right now. You can say, Jesus, you're the son of God. You just say it. Jesus, you are the sinless Son of God. You're the Messiah. You died and rose again. You're on the throne right now doing incredible things. Soon you will return, and I want to rule and reign with you. Say that in your heart right now. Say, Jesus, save me. And I pray that for everyone here who calls on the name of Christ, that we would see the bold testimony of the Apostle Paul and that we would go out and share our testimony with others. That we would be fearless because we live in a crooked and depraved generation that desperately needs the light to shine in the darkness. Make us your bold witnesses. Help us to proclaim Jesus is alive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.